Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us on our second part of our conversation around salvation. I really hope that you enjoy it, and I hope that you find it very useful. I want to thank you for your patience with us as we try to figure out this whole podcast thing. Ryan and I are new at this. I'm certainly new at editing it and getting it ready for you to listen to. And what you're going to notice is you're going to notice that uh, our audio is still a little uh, shaky sometimes in terms of its quality. It's because we're still figuring out how to record properly, how to edit well so that the, the levels are the same no matter what. But I thank you for your patience as we figure that out. I also thank you for your patience as we figure out our format. Uh, we have a pretty good idea of what we want to do with the topics that we talk about, but we're still figuring out how to add something towards the end of each episode. Today you'll notice that there is no end to this episode, and it's because it's long enough. We didn't need to add something at the end. Next week, when we release our final piece of this conversation, we will have something at the end for you to listen to, and we will continue to try to add something else instead of just the topic. We think those topics are really important. We think they're necessary for the frontier faith, but we also recognize seeing how that faith is lived out is almost as important as talking through those ideas. So thank you for your patience on all fronts. We thank you for listening. If you have any suggestions, please email us at FrontierFaithPodcast at gmail.com. Okay, so I've talked long enough. Why don't we jump into our conversation around salvation? So we've spent some time talking about how we inherited the idea of salvation or what that idea is for us as inherited. And we really did try to figure out some of the benefits that we have with that um, still to this day and why we were within that system for a while. But as you have seen and as you have heard, it's pretty clear that we are grappling with this one probably more than any of the others when it comes to salvation. But it's been hard for us because we have experienced new things throughout our young adult and adult life that made us really start to question how we were feeling about salvation as it was taught to us. And we want to start to unpack that for you. Uh, and we hope that as we do, that you will be somebody who has similar feelings, not because we want you to have these feelings, but we're hoping that we see other people who are like us and you can understand where we're coming from. And we hope that we can help you process through this just a little bit. That's our big hope for today. And so I want to just ask Ryan the question, what was so hard about salvation for you as you started getting into more of your adult life, maybe post-doctorate life? Yeah, I think, gosh, I think what was really hard for me is, um, you know, I'll just say it this way. I realized one day and not too long ago, within the last year or so even, that my primary way, maybe even it felt like the only way I related to God was through fear. This 
this idea of salvation and how, you know, for me, I felt like I was never sure that I really was, you know, and I was getting, getting saved every day because I yeah. thought that I'd sinned too much and all of that. It just made me afraid all the time. Um, when I thought about God, you know, I, I didn't feel like, I didn't feel a lot of love. I felt afraid, you know, now I'm still kind of wrestling with what does God's love feel like? You know, that's a tough question. And I recognize Uh that, but it occurred to me that a problem here is that I don't think a Christian should primarily relate to God through fear. I mean, you know, what is, you know, first John in chapter four, right? It talks about how there's no Mm -hmm. fear in love and uh, love that's, you know, the person who's perfected in love doesn't fear. And I'm like, well, gee, I got fear all the damn time. So what's going on here? Um, And so that made me really look at all this again, maybe ask some of these difficult questions of why is it that this idea of salvation, which is very central to the whole religious expression I you know, was in, right? This idea of being saved, getting other people saved, all that kind of stuff. How is it that that seems, in my experience, to be so based in fear? Something something doesn't seem right with that. Do you have a specific experience that you can think about that um, characterizes this fear for you? Yeah, I, um, yeah. So, you know, there's probably a few experiences that happened, but I think the biggest thing for me has been a few experiences that I've had in the last year. Um, so when I started working for hospice as a chap, you know, I'm going around to people's houses and nursing homes and these kind of things with people who are in their last six months of life is usually what you have to be at to be on hospice. And mm-hmm. a lot of these people I don't have for very long because we get them on our program and they die within a few days, you know? Yeah. And so I've had this opportunity to be with people either very soon before they die, um, right after they die, or in a few cases, I've been there in the room right when they died. In fact, one time I was with this lady and she was really uncomfortable. Um, You know, the medication they give them near the end of life was having a hard time taking effect. And um, her daughter said, hey, maybe you should pray for her. And so I did. And I asked God to give her peace and, you know, take away fear and anxiety and she calmed down. She stopped breathing really fast. She rolled and then she, you know, turned her head to the side and she died. Boy, that, that wow. was a very strange feeling, by yeah. the way, you wow. know, but it was um, when I've been in the room for these kind of things, when I've been with families who are, you know, in the last hours of life or last few days or whatever it is, or as they prepare for a few months, sometimes I just have never felt anything other than this sense of love and grace in the room, like from God for this person. And, you know, there are some I talk to who are the, you know, some kind of evangelical Christians or whatever. So they have a similar conception that I had. And so there's, you know, that, that, um, that does give them some peace. But Mm -hmm. many of these people are people who haven't gone to church in 25 years or who go to church on Christmas and Easter or, or some of them are people who would not be living any kind of Christian life as we've described it in in other parts. And I don't have a well-constructed theology for you here. I wish I could give you 19 scriptures that proved it. I can't. All I can say is that my experiences with those people at this time, I just, you know, none of them said the, the Romans road prayer with me before they died. And I just don't all I felt was love. I didn't feel like 
there was some lack that God was, you know, going to throw them in hell or not let them in heaven or any of these things, even though they seemed to be missing the, what I thought was a requirement for that in my mm. previous part of life. And you didn't feel any fear in the room. No. I mean, if I was doing this five years ago, I don't think I could could do this job because I'd feel guilty that I didn't somehow lead them to Jesus before they died, you know? And I don't feel that way anymore because I just, I don't, I don't think it works that way anymore. I don't know exactly how it does work. <laughs> I'm still trying to figure, that's kind of what we're talking about here is I'm trying to figure a lot of that out. But I just, that system that I grew up with, the one we've been talking about, it just doesn't seem to fit with these experiences I've had with people um, over the last year. Hmm. I think if I were to add, um, I think mine is more of a compliment to yours because here's what I experienced. Here's how it started to cause concern for me. I would hear constantly how God loves us. I would hear that every Sunday um, as we've talked about um, you and I, Ryan, there's actually a cycle every Sunday. So I hear that, you know, given any church service three to five times on a given Sunday, I hear that Jesus loves me. And I always enjoyed Easter the most because it showed how Jesus loved me. Christmas was pretty cool, too. You know, all that kind of stuff. I, I heard that a lot. But there was a disconnect between what I was hearing and what I was feeling and believing at the same time. And what I was feeling and believing was that God might love me, but first and foremost, what he's mostly concerned about is that he forgives me. And Lutherans have tied up love into forgiveness in healthy but also unhealthy ways. And what I experienced through this um just going to church all the time was I wasn't sure if I was saved either. Now we don't talk that way in Lutheran circles. I, I just didn't feel free from my sins. I didn't feel loved by God. Whenever it came to God uh, and my prayers, or if I did pray, which was very, very little, or in my experiences, it was always around, okay, but what about the sins that you've done since the last time you confessed? Right. And uh, I've brought this up several times in conversations. I'll probably bring it up until the day I die. But there's this South Park episode that just really spoke to me. It was about Catholicism. It was the episode where Kenny actually dies. And he dies because he's going to confession because they just, as they're leaving the Catholic Church, they realize that um, they just did something that's considered sinful. So they've got to go back and they cross the road. And of course, he gets hit by a bus. Um, and what was really phenomenal about that episode isn't the episode itself, but how that linked up to Martin Luther's experience of confession and how I, in a Lutheran setting, was going through these same emotions and same rhythm that Luther felt was limited to the Catholic Church in that day. And yet the church of his own namesake that's trying its best to follow his theology and his wisdom, they're doing the same thing to a pastor's kid who's just sitting there wondering, 
am I not necessarily am I going to hell, although that was part of it. More importantly, does God really love me or is he just seeing me in my sins all the time? Was there was there like a sense that um, God loves you once you get the confession out of the way kind of thing? Like, yeah, God loves me as long as this happens first. Is that kind of... I think so. I think that was, I think that's what they tried to communicate and they tried to communicate that uh, well. But the wrench that gets thrown into that is if you're always a sinner, then, you know, how can you not be in a scenario where you leave and you think, oh my goodness, I just sinned. I've got to go and get confession again and feel clean, feel loved. Whatever. So it's almost like you're in these two categories of being loved or being a sinner and confession and absolution or repentance fits in between there. But so to to put that just a bit clearer, just to say that if that was true for the way I was taught, I felt myself in the place where God loves me much, much less than I did on the other side of I'm a sinner. Okay. All right. And for me, it was the reason why we talked about repentance so much is because that's where it happens, at least in the Lutheran church. You come every worship service, you come and you repent your sins first and foremost. And in fact, the invocation that we do in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, they they teach us that that's a reminder of our baptism where we're cleansed from our sins. So even there, you're starting with sin, that you are sinful, and that you're cleansed, but then you come right back, that's one cycle, then you come back to the next cycle, and you have to say, well, I'm a poor, wretched sinner because of these reasons, and then get forgiven again, and so it's just like every single time I've loved or forgiven, it's like, no, but wait a second, are you really? Are you really? So I think for us, uh, for me, I'm just putting this together, but I think for me, whereas some would ask the question, am I really saved? I'm not sure. I think the more specific question was, am I really forgiven? I'm not sure. Yeah, because I think, I mean, I think I had, it, it's just interesting to, me, interesting to me as I listened to you, um, because we had almost the same experience in the sense of like, am I, you know, am I ever really okay? Whether it was because I were asking, am I really saved or am I really forgiven? Either way, the, 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 the question was, gosh, but how do I really know I'm okay? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And in my case, it was always the assumption of, well, I'm not. So let's just say the prayer again. Yeah. And for me, it was, I'm not. So I'll wait until Sunday to confess. Or uh, as I learned, I would just do that on my own. Uh, I was gonna say you you rolled the dice, huh? You're you're. I was never uh, confident enough to wait to wait till Sunday. <laughs> well, you didn't have the the liturgy like we do. I know there's liturgy, but for us, it feels more official. At least if you buy into that and it's part of your your heritage, it feels more official doing it on Sunday. I remember I've even wondered at times if there's a place for some kind of confession and absolution in in uh, the kind of services I grew up in. Obviously, it wouldn't look the same way yours does, you know, because even mm-hmm. baptism functions differently and all that kind of, or at least right. in a large way differently. But, but I wonder, um, because I've thought before, you know, that one of the benefits of that 
sounds like maybe they went overboard in, in your system, but like there is something helpful about someone in authority telling you you're forgiven, right? Yeah, um, yeah. It's just for for the Pentecostals in the world, it's it's tough because that's too clerical, that's too Catholic, that's too whatever. Yeah. You know, we don't need anybody. It's just us and Jesus kind of stuff. But and so one of the big problems of this for me as I'm starting to discover um, my feelings and I'm not feeling love that I probably wouldn't say it was fear, but it certainly is fear. I, I don't know if I was feeling fear in the way that I think about it. Um, but the way I was behaving was certainly fearful. Uh, as I was starting to get away from that and move into more of a loving space or wanting a more loving space, I started to discover that what I grew up with was something that Lutherans would call uh, works righteousness. And this is that you can do something to earn your salvation. And what what we do, at least the way I was feeling, is what I do is I go and I repent, and as a result of that confession, I am forgiven. Did you have something like that for you? Yeah, I mean, like, it, for for me, it was very much of, you know, you got to say the prayer when you've done something wrong, and then your repentance, you know, as shown by that prayer and a repentant heart is what gives you forgiveness through God's grace, supposedly. But but the problem with that was like, it, it became this very give and take kind of relationship, right? Like, I... I give God something, he takes something from me, and now I'm okay, at least until I have another lustful thought 30 minutes later or whatever it was. You 30 know? minutes? You make it 30 minutes? No, but <laughs> <laughs> not even not even remotely, um, <laughs> since I was a teenager during a lot yeah, of this. You know? Right. <laughs> but um, <clears throat> I think what, what I'm getting at here is it sounds like for both of us, this relationship with God, this salvation, which should be, you know, a fundamental core part of our faith is a transactional relationship, you know? And the question I have to ask is just to drill deeper. So what? So what if it's transactional? I mean, that's a fair question. I think in, in regards to this, I think my problem with that is it sets us up like like God and I are on the same level, right? Like I give God something, then in a transaction, he has to give me something, right? Mm, Like the scales have to balance kind of thing. And that doesn't seem to fit, like given that salvation is provided in whatever way you think atonement works, it's provided somehow based on what Jesus did on the cross, right? Mm -hmm, And how could I ever, like how could my one prayer or even my total surrender of my will or heart or soul or whatever you want to call it, how could that ever equal what Jesus did, right? I don't see how the scales could ever really balance. Um, And so I I wonder if this feeling of, yeah, but I mean, I wonder if that's where this feeling of I'm never really good enough came from. This idea that like, I could never do this, like none of us could. Um, And it just makes it makes God, we're talking about a personal relationship with God, at least that's how it was always portrayed for me. And it makes it a very impersonal, almost like you're going to the the bank teller of forgiveness, putting in your prayer, getting out forgiveness, and then you go on your way. And that just yeah. seems so cold and impersonal. And it really seems to bring God down to a level um, that's basically the same as us. 
That's a really interesting answer. I love that answer. Here's how I would answer, and I'm smiling because I just I would answer it so differently. Hmm. <laughs> um, but in a in a way, it's very similar. And the answer I would have is because everybody says that's not how it's supposed to work. Hmm. Everyone says that this is grace. This has been given to us freely, completely, and fully. That there are no strings attached. In fact. When you take when you go to seminary, at least a Lutheran seminary, you have to take classes on the Reformation, and part of the Reformation is that they actually distinguish very clearly what um, Catholic justification looks like. And what Catholic justification looks like is they at the time it looks different now, but at the time it looked like Jesus does it all, but point oh one or point oh 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 one percent of it, and all you have to do is this little bit with your life. And that's good. And what Luther was saying is, well, if you add anything to this, then it's not grace anymore. So, you know, you can't have that system anymore is is his huge thing that he pushes um, upon the Catholic Church. And then the rest of the world's like, yeah, that sounds right. But then we go. So what I'm trying to say is if we had a system that was that way, we would at least be honest like the Catholic Church at that time. We have that system, and yet, at the same time, logically, we're saying, no, that's not the system. God's grace takes care of it all, or whatever it might be, and for me, it was just like, okay, but I still have to come back and repent in order for me to be forgiven, right? Right. Yeah. And then there's these mental gymnastics of how that's not a work, and I've just, I started to think to myself, how is this not the same thing? I'm sure the Catholics during that time, because they're well-meaning and good people, they were doing the same gymnastics and saying, wait a second, Luther, you don't quite understand. And here I'm like, why can't we see this? It doesn't it doesn't sync up. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it, it's like. I don't believe that our relationship with God is an economic one, right? Um, that just seems to put God in such a human box. Um, I think that human grace has an, often has an economic quality to it, right? And when I say economic, I don't necessarily mean money. I just mean that there's somehow something traded for something which results in something else, you know? Um, or something happens that requires someone to give someone else something or do something or that kind of idea. And the problem, like I said, with that is like not just what could I ever give God that would repay because I can't, right? But right. Um, it makes like it, it gives God no will in this. It gives God no power. It's like I said, it's a bank teller or a vending machine or whatever metaphor you want to use there. And, you know, I don't think that God's grace is the same as human grace because if it is, we might all be in trouble, you know. Well, I I might want to, let's probe that a little bit, because I think you're right. God's grace is different than human grace. What gets in the way, quote unquote, of human grace is that humans have emotions that get hurt, right? And, And part of what happens in the grace experience is that we have to tend to one another and we have to take care of each other as we're forgiving. So somebody hurts somebody else, it's never one-sided. Not ever once. It's always both people. Now, it could be heavily skewed to one person, 
But usually it's because that one person has so much pain in their past that they are just dealing with it in very, very unhealthy ways. And when it comes to working together as human beings, we have all this stuff like that that gets in the way. With God, that stuff is not, quote unquote, in the way. In fact, I believe that God meets us perfectly, and I say this all the time, God doesn't love you in spite of your sins. He loves you through your sins. He looks at what you do and he's like, hey, I get it, man. This world sucks. It's hard. There's stuff that you don't really know because you can't possibly know. And you're just trying the best to figure it all out. Here, let me tell you this. I love you no matter what's going on. I forgive you no matter what's going on. Forgiveness is actually something you don't have to worry about at all. It's given to you all the time. You don't need to ponder upon your sins. And so for me, it seems like I like that word transactional because it feels cold. It feels like it's just this cold exchange, whereas the way humans work when they're at their best and you escalate to the way that God works, it feels like when God is talking about who he really is, it's warmth. It's well, not cold. Yeah, I mean, like I said earlier, however you believe Christ's death somehow factors into forgiveness, because there's lots of different thoughts on that. <laughs> you know, Jesus sacrificially dying for humanity is not a cold mechanical action, right? I mean, that's right. that's full of passion and love and self-sacrifice and, I mean, humanity, like whatever, whatever one you want to use there. But it is about as far from a cold robotic transaction as can happen, I think. Yeah, and isn't it interesting? We're not talking about atonement. We're going to be good. We're not going to talk atonement here. But isn't it interesting that we make that into a cold transactional thing? Well, because transactions are very understandable, right? Yeah. A, I give A, I receive B. Like it, it makes sense to us because that you and I have talked about before is that I don't think as humans we can really get a handle on, we can ever really understand. Sometimes we even really struggle to accept God's grace because it's so vastly different than anything we ever have or ever will experience from another human being. Yeah. You know what's interesting, what just popped in my mind, we were talking in our Bible episode or episodes about how universalism is accessible and or it tries to be accessible and that's why people latch on to it in terms of universal objectivism, um, not universalism, objectivism. Um, And that just like struck me really hard right now of how this feels very accessible in the same attempt, but yet it just takes away so much. If it's if it's a formula, it's accessible. And hey, we can even do a lot of practices around this. We can do our worship services. We can do our baptisms, our communions. We can do literally everything around this. And it's accessible to people. And it does drive home the point that we're sinners and God forgives us. But don't we lose a lot along the way? Well, yeah, I think what we lose is um, we lose all sense of mystery that goes with this process, right? So, you know, I've been going to a Methodist church recently, and I don't know all the terms here still, so bear with me. But at the end of the service, you know, when you do communion, there's the 
is it the great Thanksgiving? I think they call it, but there's this one part in that prayer and liturgy where, um, you know, the pastor says something about, we proclaim the mystery of our faith. And then the mystery is Christ has died, is risen and will come again. And this huh. idea that we've made it with, with the, um, this transaction, this economic relationship, this mechanical robotic thing, I give, I get, we're done. That's not very mysterious. There is no mystery no. in that. Right. And I think there, there has to be mis- mystery in salvation because I mean, I can't, we don't, I don't even have words for it, for it, you know, like it should yeah. not be something that we can lay out in an easy formula. I don't think at least not as much as it always has been in my experience. Yeah. I often think to myself, if God was so easy to figure out even things that were meant for us, then what kind of God is that? Well, that's it, what they it, always tell us, right? Right. And I'm pretty sure we came up with this thought uh, throughout our episodes, too. It's just why it's got to be more complex, even if the only piece of this is complex is on our side of things, that humans are incredibly complex, that we have different experiences, different different uh, personalities, different cultures. You just add literally all the different things that make us different. And if you only have that piece of it, then it can't be just a simple formula that applies across the way. It's got to be something deeper and richer than that. Hmm. And I often think that, you know, how, how many of the attempts that we have in theology is to flatten everything rather than to fill it. Hmm. When it comes to salvation, we're trying to flatten it rather than fill what could be there, the depth of what happens, not just upon the cross, because that's more atonement, but the entirety of what Jesus is doing and what God is doing through him. It's got to be filled out, right? Well, I would think so. You know, I, like I said, none of this is meant as even really like an attack on the other stuff. Not exactly. It's just, um, you know, at first, the questions we're asking, these transactional things and all of that were really scary for me because, well, if it doesn't work this way, how does it work? But I still have those moments. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> that yeah, feeling yeah. of, gosh, well, what does that leave us with? But as we're talking about it now, this idea that this salvation, this this tremendous gift of God is is contained in mystery and not a easily understandable formula, like that actually gives me a lot in some ways it gives me a lot more comfort because that kind of thing, when I I don't have to try and figure out, well, how could God ever really forgive me? Well, God forgives me, (laughs) you know, like it's not, I don't have to worry about, well, was this sin bad enough? Or did I do, you know, I was okay at uh, 70 sins, but 71, you know, is too much or or whatever it is because it doesn't work that way. And I think that that can be a hopeful thing, at least, at least I hope so. <laughs> but I often wonder, because from my heritage, what we usually define faith as is trust. And what's interesting is that when it comes to salvation, I always interpreted that. Now, this is not what we're taught, but it's what we were taught. You know what I mean? It's not what was said, but what we were taught. Faith is trusting that this actually works. And I think that that 
that is remarkable because it's trust in a process. It's trust in what God says, somewhat what God does, but really what he does, uh, what is communicated by what he does in terms of this salvation thing. Instead of where I kind of am now, and we're not going to get to it just yet, but trust in, in a person, trust in someone, God, more. And I just, for me, it's it's striking that, and I'm just discovering this as we talk about these things more and more, Lutherans love their theology very clearly. Um, Ryan's probably rolling his eyes. No, duh. Um, <laughs> no, you can't see me. You don't know. <laughs> I know you too well to say that. Um, but it's it was trust in theology. Maybe that's what it really was for me growing up, mm. is that I was told to trust in a theology. And as that theology started to show problems in terms of this transactional repentance, uh, I started to really just say, wait a second, I don't know if I should be trusting this theology anymore. Yeah, yeah, that, that, that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, it made me think, too, because it's not that Pentecostals don't have theology, because they do. Everybody has some kind of theology, yeah. Yeah. you know, um, even people who don't believe in God. <laughs> but um, the idea, like for Pentecostals, is that the big thing that a lot of stuff keys on is experience, right? So we have an experience with God through the Holy Spirit, and we speak in tongues or gifts of the Spirit or, you know, um, healing, whatever it is. And and yet, because of the way that this system that I lived in was, my experience with God was not one of freedom or liberty or love or any of these things. My experience of God because of this was almost always fear and, and um, you know, th- those kinds of emotions. And I think that was part of it for me, too, is I've started to realize, well, wait a minute. Um, if where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom, right? And if we put such a big emphasis on what the spirit does in our lives and hearts, and the spirit is the comforter, right? Why is it that all I ever feel is fear and dread? Yeah. Yeah. So how did you start moving away from fear and dread? And you recognize the problem here, or at least potentially one of the issues with uh, the inherited understanding of salvation how did you start moving away from fear? Because I imagine that's where we both are, is we're trying to move away from that fear and dread. You know, I I am trying, and in some ways I've come a long way with that. But I think because of how entrenched in my theology, my life, my psyche, I don't know, whatever words you want to use there, I haven't been able to totally move away from the effects of it. You know, there are still days when I have those fears, just not as all pervasive or, um, you know, as they used to be. It's gotten a lot better. But, you know, I, I wouldn't say that I've moved all the way past it because it's just been really hard. You know, that kind of fear and anxiety all the time. It doesn't go away just because I have a different understanding, you know. I think that's true for a lot of people probably, but for me, especially I can, I have, I understand a lot of theological approaches to things or answers or even things I believe and don't believe, but how I 
think about them intellectually is often very different than how they feel emotionally or in my heart or whatever. And so with this one, because because fear had become such a central part of my life and my relationship with God, I think it's going to be an ongoing process for me to not be in that spot. Um, I think for probably for a while. So what do you hope for? If you're not there, if you're kind of moving away from it, what is your hope for this? Well, I mean, my hope is that I continue to explore what God's love is actually like and not just fear. You know, I've been able to do that some and it's been getting, like I said, it's been getting a lot better. I've come a long way, but uh, that's what I've been trying to focus on. And and my hope is that, um, you know, not only that I will experience that, but that's the kind of experience I'd like other people to have. The, the, yeah. the real experience of God's love. I think that's what I was describing when I talked about being with people at the end of their lives. I think that those people are having a real, the most real they will ever have until they get to the other side anyway, experience of God's love and presence. You know, And that's, that's what I hope for, not just, for, I mean, for me, but not just for me, but for everybody. Because if God is love, right? If 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 everything about love is contained within God or however that works, that's, I think, the primary thing we should experience through our relationship with God more than anything else. So, yeah, I love that. I think so, too. We uh, Ryan's already mentioned this, but one of the key chapters for both of us in varying ways is First John chapter 4. It's, a, you know, for anyone who's out there, it's not like a foundational thing for our theology. <laughs> we very clearly do not have a theology. But maybe it should be. Maybe it should be. I don't know. But I like to talk about, like, you see this in John and you see this elsewhere. If Jesus could define himself in our relationship, how would he do that? It seems to be love. That seems to be how he wants to primarily be defined as. And the challenge, I think, because we're still in that little deconstruction age or, or not age, um, time frame for ourselves and, and for our conversation here, it seems to me that much of what I grew up with was a God that preferred to see himself as holy, first and foremost, not loving. Mm-hmm. And... I want to explore that because you've said that you have heard in your history, in your experience, that people would outright tell you it's both. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, they would use like metaphors like um, like a prism, you know, like, yes, God is love, but God is also justice or holiness or purity or whatever words you wanted to, you know, whatever other words were deemed part of that, you know, a face of that prism. But and and the idea behind that was that one is not more important than the other, right? Like, um, like yeah, they're all culture. equal, right? Yeah. And you know, we could talk about if there if there's problems with that idea or not. But putting that aside, like, even though that was what I was always told, what was and I think believed in most people's cases. It wasn't the experience that I had because it wasn't what I saw people actually living. And I don't mean that in a, I'm not trying to call them hypocrites because I don't think it was um, 
I don't think it was necessarily conscious in most people's cases, you know, because what I saw was, at least in my experience, was no, no, what really matters is holiness. And we hope God loves us. Or maybe a better way to put it is God will love us (laughs) if we're holy, you know. And so despite what I was told about um, God's love being just as important and not more important than anything else, or no, I should say it the other way, um, God's emphasis on holiness being not more important than anything else, what I experienced was very much that it was the ultimate concern. That's interesting, because I think we do have pretty, the way I hear you talk sounds pretty different than the way that I was taught. So let me let me say my piece here, because I want us to engage in this. Why this is so fascinating is because our system of Lutheran theology very clearly says that God's love is most expressed in his justification of us. Huh, interesting. In the work of his forgiveness of what we do. So you're saying that we were functional Lutherans, we just didn't know it? No, I'm saying that for me, and now you take this how you want, and it'd be interesting to hear that, but for me, it was very clearly communicated that God's holiness is more important because the way that he fulfills his holiness is through his love for us that's given to us through the forgiveness that we need when we break his holy law. Mm. And the only way, I mean, we you've heard it, I'm sure, at the seminary we were at. Other expressions of love, whether it's because we're German or what, they become very uncomfortable very quickly. Yeah. Like, God loves us because of our human uh, humanness, our humanity. Well, that's kind of weird. Our humanity is original sin, so yeah, why would he love our sinners? <laughs> yeah. Um, he loves us for our emotions. Well, there's a lot of talk against emotions in Luke. Oh, my goodness. Uh, gosh. Yeah. Oh, my. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it, it, it. I learned that God is loving in so far as he is forgiving like if you were to put qualities of who god is under love the very first one would be forgiving because that is how god sees us mm-hmm. and so i don't know i see a difference there i see like you said um people would give you different interpretations of what matters for god depending on maybe the sunday the flavor of the times whatever it was the, the prism of all the colors, but you felt as though um, uh, holiness was the number one that was given, that love came because you were holy. Ours, it feels like it was just pretty on the nose. Um, God loves you in his forgiveness for you because you're such a shitty person. Oh, you know, as you said that, I think, I think maybe a better way to characterize it was God's love didn't start with you being holy, right? I think we really did believe that God loves everyone regardless of where they're at. God loves the lost, if you want to put it that way. Yeah, yeah. But I think what I what it was, whether people said it this way or not, or even realized it was this way or not, was God's love was continued for you. It 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 kept lasting for you as uh-huh. long as you lived in the right way, as long as you did a, the holy things and not the unholy things, right? Okay. So love was there, I think, from the beginning. But but it it's almost like it didn't last 
unless, <laughs> you know, well, I don't know. That might be a bit of an overstatement because they'd still say that God loved the sinner, even if you'd quote unquote walked away from God. But this idea of that love, I guess, wasn't strong enough to maintain the relationship if holiness wasn't part of the the equation or the, the main part of the idea. Yeah, and for us, I think it's just different. Like, God does love the lost, quote-unquote, in this system, but he loves them in that he has forgiven, his, forgiven them their sins, and they need to see that hmm. and become a part of this system of repentance. That's how love is expressed, at least the way that I picked up on it. I don't know if it's actually how it was taught. I don't know. There are probably people listening saying, no, 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 that's not it at all. Oh, for me too, I'm sure. But for me, that's how I picked up on it. I was like, wait a second. So everything that God does that is loving is through forgiveness, Mm -hmm. through justification. Yeah, it's like I think I told that story earlier about the the pastor from your group that I was with and I said, "Doesn't God do anything else besides justify us?" And like I'm not trying to make fun here, but the deer in the headlights look I got. Like it yeah. like that is really stuck with me because I'm thinking, "Amen, brother, that you know, God does forgive us and we are justified, but is that it?" Cuz there's a lot of Bible <laughs> that's still <laughs> left after that, you know. Um, but and again, not to make fun, it's just it it yeah. it really kind of illustrated what you're talking about, I think. I think it does. I think it does. I think it's why um some folks just really hold on to that in my my expression of church. Um but I think just in general too, why people hold on to this salvation is because um it's hard to think outside of it, especially if you're taught that this is how God demonstrates his love is through forgiveness. And and not just taught in the like college sense that you go and you hear this. No, like it's ingrained and instilled within you as part of your core of who you are. It's really hard to think of God otherwise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, you know, we didn't talk about this earlier, but the thing that's coming to my mind as we're talking about it, too, that really gave me a lot of pause in all of this is that. It was hard not to notice that this whole system um, resulted in a lot of, you know, because we're going to go there again, a lot of power for the people in charge. Um, Not like in the sense that, you know, I think all the stuff with the purity culture in the 90s, well, that was so that we wouldn't have sex, right? Um, You know, we were told in my case, we couldn't drink, we couldn't dance, we couldn't, you know, watch R rated movies or whatever it was. And so, like, all of these rules that, in my case, you know, salvation was dependent upon, there was an awful lot of behavior control baked into that. And I don't think necessarily nefariously, like I don't think my parents or or most pastors were up there preaching this gospel, or or I should say teaching this system because they said, ha, now we can control people with it. But I think that was a big effect of it, you know, um, like for me, it certainly was. I don't have the personality to be a rebellious child anyway, but a big reason why I wouldn't have was because I wouldn't just have my parents mad at me if I had, right? God would be mad at me too. And so that also gives me a lot of pause in this system. Um, Even though, like I said, I recognize that I don't think most people who are within that system or that belief are 
I mean, some probably are, but most people I don't think are consciously using it to control everybody, even though well, I think that is happening regardless. Yeah, and that's why we mentioned Foucault, even though we don't we haven't read him extensively. It's very clear in his his work that power is just a given. It's the way that the world works for him. And so these dynamics are going to come up even in the perfect world, because power isn't necessarily bad. I, I don't know if Foucault might push back a little bit on that, but generally um, people aren't intentionally seeking power. It's just that that is what we're drawn to. That is what makes sense to us. And so, you know, think of like one of the things when we're talking about right here is social pressure, right? Mm -hmm. It's hard yeah. for you to move outside of this way of thinking uh, specifically in my expression of that uh, forgiveness is love. It's hard to move outside of there because there's so much social pressure, power from people not intentionally using it, but because of our discomforts, because of our desires to have everything the same and so on and so forth, to wrangle those folks in and say, wait a second, don't forget, and then... On well, you go. Especially since like, you know, when parents would tell their kids these things, whether it was the purity culture or whatever it was, like it was a product of their fear as well, right? So yeah, this this right. fear that was created in me was the same fear that was operating in them, like they were afraid for me or or whatever it was. And so like I want to recognize that too that part of why it isn't always nefarious or even most of the time may not be is because I think everybody in some way is held captive by that fear. And maybe that's too strong. I don't know. But that was how it, it seemed like in my experience. And and I guess the other question is, well, I'm sure that any system or any belief in some way opens it up for uh, a bad person to come in and manipulate people with it or control people. Like I imagine a you know, faith community that is a believes in universalism that that pastor or leader could probably manipulate people with it somehow if he or she wanted. But I think we do have to wonder about this one though, of like how easy it makes for that to happen. Um, and I don't know that that in and of itself is a reason to throw it out the window. It's not what I'm saying, but I do think it does raise some questions of, is it okay? And are like does something need to change or is there something we need to look at or do we need to teach it different or whatever it is right like i think that does raise those questions that probably should be looked at i think so and i think it really comes down to like systems that are built around categories i do believe are more susceptible to this so the categories of course in and out would be the big one saved here. and lost yep uh, and it actually brings me to, you didn't know you were doing this, but it brings me to the story that I want to share that made me really start to realize all of this. Remember, I tell Ryan and I are different. So usually Ryan starts with a story and then figures right. something out. Right. Yeah, I'm going through it in my brain and then finally something happens like, aha. Um, so I, I want to share this brief story. I went out to Portland to, to be with my brother and, his, and my sister-in-law. Um, they're out there doing life and just they're great people. And uh, we went out there. It was first, second year of my doctorate program because Rachel is the only one around and my, my young or my oldest. Um, and we went out primarily because of that. 
And when I was out there, my brother decided to tell me. It was weird. It was weird. In, in hindsight, it felt like kind of a coming out thing, uh, which I've heard, Ryan, maybe this would be an interesting talk to, uh, interesting thing to talk about, is that coming out as, as atheist is much harder for people than coming out as being gay. And um, not harder for people in general, but for, I've heard or seen research of people who are both gay and not Christian anymore hmm. that they've said that anyway. Yeah, I don't know how to that. compare the two, but I, I would say that yeah. there are some similarities and that, yes, it can be a similarly traumatic experience depending yeah. on the context. So my brother decided to, pardon the phrase, come out as atheist to me. And I had already gone through a lot of some of this stuff. Now, I didn't have the vocabulary for it yet. But to me, it was like, okay, um, I, I mean, what do you want me to say? I'm not going to shame you for this. I'm not going to say, how dare you? Uh, and, but what happened within me was I started to ask a very pivotal question that changed pretty much everything. And the question is, does God still love my brother? And in a Lutheran way, at least the way we've talked about it here on this short podcast, without unpacking a whole lot and without me being challenged by somebody, um, that it's not quite Lutheran, the only answer I could come up with is in that understanding, it is no. Because forgiveness is the way that God loves, and if somebody is actively rejecting said forgiveness, uh, through a rejection of the faith, then they are no longer loved. And when I was able to formulate all this, I thought, I don't like that. <laughs> uh, I can't. I can't be a part of that. Um, I can't accept that that is the only way or even the primary way in which God's love is expressed. Especially since, and I imagine we might talk about this in, like more specifically in its own thing someday or at some point, but especially when it's not like, you know, in that idea that, well, God doesn't love somebody, so, you know, they'll just die and that's it, right? <laughs> like, yeah. especially since if God doesn't love somebody or if God hasn't forgiven somebody or however you want to put that, well, sorry, they get to go into a literal lake of fire for eternity. At least that's what I would have believed, you know? Yeah. And so it's, you know, it's one thing to say, well, they just get to hang out on earth and we get to go to heaven. Like that's problematic too, but that's, you know, that's one thing, right? But to say that, you know, not only does not God not love somebody like that, or not only does God not forgive them, well, you know, they're pretty much eternally screwed and to be tortured forever. You know, right. sorry about it. <laughs> it's like, wait a minute, this can't be right. Like he, that that person is completely shut off from God's love and on top of that, punished because God doesn't love him. Right. And, you know, if, if God, if God really wants, if God really loves everybody, if God really loves everyone so much that he gave his only son, right? You know, and in the verse right after that, he gave um, his son, it wasn't to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You know, I just don't see how that makes sense if if we're operating within that under the understanding we've been talking about here right yeah well it was a pivotal thing for me i i'm not sure and we're going to talk about here in just a minute where we might be now 
but that was the experience I had as I was grappling with uh, what is love? Is love really just forgiveness? Is it more than forgiveness? Is it not forgiveness? That relationship to holiness and how that all played out, that's kind of where the experience met the road. To, that's terrible. I'm, I'm awful at those things. But. Where the rubber hit the road. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, that's what I was trying to do, but I was trying to be clever and, you know. We're all clever in different ways. Never worked out. He said, shut up, Brian. (laughs) 